I'd like to invite you to join me in picking up your Bibles. We're going to be uh, turning to the book of Psalm, chapter 19. I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Our brother Dean will bring us this morning's message, How Great is Our God. Good morning. She was only 13 years old. I was a very young doctor. Science had done all it could do. And she was my responsibility to try to treat. She she passed away, and uh, it was a beautiful Japanese girl, and it left an indelible impression on my mind. This was many years ago, but I'm still thinking of her. And my soul cried out at the time, where is God? Sometime later, I was at the bedside of a 30-some-year-old girl who had had a rough life. She had become an alcoholic. I'll never forget the scene. It was at a large county hospital. There were over 3,000 beds in the hospital. She was just one of many. But she was my responsibility among some other doctors. She had end-stage cirrhosis and jaundice. I stayed with her all night long. I didn't sleep. She was hemorrhaging, and I'll never forget, early morning, about 6 a.m., there was a little tiny window in the hospital room facing the eastern sky. And as the sun was just coming up, she, she passed away there with me at her bedside. Again, my heart cried out, where is God? A few years ago, I was on call, St. Lena Hospital. And when you're on call, you take everything that comes to you. You don't have a choice. I, I had a 39-year-old girl come in, a beautiful lady. She, however, looked as white as a white piece of paper. 
and we immediately knew something very, very bad was wrong. Subsequent workup suggested she had to be in an intensive care unit, which we placed her there. Then workup also developed that she had a lung mass in her lung, which was cancer from her long years of smoking. I'll never forget this one either. This is only a few of many that we've experienced. She was laying in a bed in ICU looking up at me. By now we had the diagnosis of lung cancer and unfortunately it had spread to everywhere in her body including her bone marrow. The bone marrow is where the blood cells are made and it was so involved that that's why she was anemic. Hemoglobin was five grams should have been 10, 12 to 14. She looked, as I say, as white as a sheet. I was there at her bedside doing everything we could do, but the disease was beyond us. And again, I will never forget her looking up at me and saying, please doctor, I don't wanna die. I don't wanna die. I don't wanna die. Over in the right corner was her mother weeping hysterically. Over her bed was her husband weeping beyond hysterically. And she was pleading with me, Doctor, I don't want to die. Well, she died there. And again, my heart cried out, Where is God? More recently, just a few days ago, into my clinic came a patient who had just been released from prison a few days before. And he had been out not only 48 hours, and he was walking across the field, um, and his foot went down in a hole. He fell, breaking his ankle and uh, hitting his head, almost blinding himself. And he came into my clinic, no money, no insurance, no nothing. Um, what do I do? Well, we were able to get him to see an ophthalmologist, and his eye turned out okay. He couldn't walk, um, got a pair of crutches. Um, came in just a few days ago. There was about a month between these times, and just saw him a few days ago, as I said. Um, he looked up at me with pleading eyes, never forget this. And I said, well, the conversation went something like this. Well, friend, uh, how are you doing? He said, do you really want to know? And I said, yes, I want to know. He said, well, for starters, I'm homeless. And I said, oh. Um, he said, and I said, um, he said, do you want more? Do you want to know more? And I said, yes. He said, well, um, I'm living in a truck. And he said, do you want to know more? I said, yes. And he said, it's my son's truck and he's in prison. Do you want to know more? Somehow I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm hungry. And he said, right now I'm living off of food given out on Mondays and Thursdays by a church. And um, 
Again, I ask, where is God? He was thrown out on the street of the city in which I work from a bus with the clothes on his back, not a dime in his jeans. I suppose that if today we asked the question among everybody here to give us an idea or a description of who God is, we would probably have as many answers as people in the audience. Some believe that God is high and above in his heaven and does not even look down on this earth much, and his people does not care about their health much and their tragedies. Some really believe this. Others believe in atheism and humanism, which says there is no God, or if there is a God, they really don't know who he is or what he's about, and uh, he doesn't care about us. As opposed to the creation view that the world will continue to crumble until the end of the earth, some believe, as humanists do, that the world will get better and better until some kind of nirvana is arranged at the end of this. That's not the scripture story. Some have faith to believe that God is actively involved in our world and in us. He knows our name. He alone can bring tragedy from triumph. He alone can bring worthlessness into treasure. And he can bring defeat into victory and can turn our feeble efforts to serve him into great blessings for others. These would believe there's a heaven to win and a hell to shun. These believe that an almighty God is in control of his universe and its people. We all know that nature is full of revelation about God. The hibiscus, the rose, the orchid, the exotic birds, the animals, etc. But scripture is the only place that we can really find absolute answers about a God as we try to search for him. The inspired writings, he has left us a way to search and to find out about him and his love for us. We find answers rather quickly as we open the pages of the Holy Bible. To start with, we have these words, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his might. Let not the rich man Glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth, glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 22 and 23. This is an ominous warning as well to those who would defy the God of heaven and glory in their own wisdom, riches, or might. A very wise man who underwent great tragedy wrote these words, Acquaint now thyself and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Job wrote those words in Job 22. What we want most, I think, is peace in this world, peace for our heart and soul. In this world of turmoil and trouble, I also interpret these words as a promise of eternal life when the scripture tells us, good shall come unto thee. How can we trust and serve and worship a God who is really not well known to us? You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Isn't that interesting? There is indeed nothing new under the sun. One day, Paul went into Corinth 
on one of his journeys, and there he found people worshiping at an altar. The sign said, to an unknown God. Today, I think in society, we have the same thing. Again from scripture, all nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by numbers. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint, from Isaiah 40. Now the reason Isaiah could write words like that was because of an experience that he described in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And, no one, cried, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This was a life-changing event for Isaiah, so that he could write life-changing words. Another Bible writer pens these words in 1 Timothy 6. He only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power and everlasting. Amen. Let us turn to another Bible writer and hear these words. O Lord, how manifest are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. Psalms 104. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou encompassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue. Lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Psalms 103. Then comes a cry for help from the same author, and this is why God said, David was a man after my own heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. 
Psalms 139. What a challenge to us. How many of us today would plead to God to search my heart and find if there be any wicked way in me? Yet that is what God requires us to do as candidates for his eternal kingdom. You see? A Bible writer penned these words. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. This tells us God knows our thoughts before we think them. An amazing God. We begin to realize that this God is all knowledge, all power, all understanding, and created everything. Yet it is hard for our finite minds to understand how he can pay the same attention to one soul at the same time he's paying attention to millions upon billions of others at the same time. What kind of a computer is that? We are promised from Scripture that God knows our thoughts before we even speak them. There are so many texts of the Bible that tell us more and more about our great God, and we could go on for hours. From the words of the song we love, God is mighty enough to rule the universe, but small enough to come into our hearts. Jeremiah penned these words, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. I knew you before you were even formed. And then from Timothy, the Lord knoweth them that are his. We next will go to scripture to, make other, to take another look at God through the eyes and minds of people who had faith enough to trust him through incredible great trials. The story of Moses, you do realize that Moses was a type of Christ. Do you recognize that? He was a type of Christ. We know the story well in Exodus 23 and onward. Moses, who had killed a man, was beating up one of his own people. He had to flee into the desert to protect his own life because his life was now in jeopardy. Out there in retirement, he was sitting there caring for sheep. By now he had a wife and he had children, as we know the story. He was in his golden years, you see. One day he was out there in the desert and a burning bush he saw over in the distance. A strange sight. You'd expect a, burn, a bush to burn up. The bush did not burn up. So he went over there cautiously. And suddenly he heard a voice. Moses, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. What's this? The voice said to Moses, you must go back to Egypt, Moses, to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses stammered, but Lord, I am slow of speech. I stutter. Lord, I, I couldn't possibly do this. Moses, go to Egypt and take out my people. Lead them away. Well, Moses does follow the command to lead out his people in a miraculous way. They'd been slaves for 400 years. They'd forgotten all about God, practically. They had no real knowledge of him, such as those fledgling Jacob's sons that came to Egypt that day, 400 years before. Now, Moses obeyed God, and through miracle after miracle, he had the people out in the desert. 
Then one day Moses was called up on top of Mount Sinai to be communing with God for 40 days up there, learning about salvation firsthand from the God of the universe. He came down from the mountain, his face shining like the sun, where he found his people down there worshiping a golden calf. Oh, Moses' heart sank to the ground. He broke the tables of stone that God had written with his own finger. And Moses realized that this was a gross violation of what God had just told him about how people were to serve him. And God told Moses, Moses, I'm going to destroy these people and I'll make of you, Moses, a great nation. This was a pivotal point in Moses' life. He could have said, now, Lord, you've got a great idea there. Let's just work on that. No, Scripture says just the opposite. There's not even a hint of a question or a hesitation on the part of Moses. We have the next words in Scripture, Exodus 22, 22. The most heart-pounding, heart-rending words in all of Scripture And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, but if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Somehow, Moses knew about a book of life that was later to be written of in the book of Revelation. How did he know that? He knew about it. How can we understand this? How can a human being offer his own life for other people and offer to take your own name out of the book of life? How could you do that? This points to the cross on Calvary's hill, you see, where one day Christ would offer himself for the sins of the whole world. We see here that the great God we have been studying about this morning is able to change the mind and heart of a person so much that he is willing to lay down his own life for another, just as Christ would do centuries later. Moses is a type of Christ. What, God, what kind of God can inspire somebody to do that? What kind of God is this? Only a God that sees everything that happens on earth in the light of eternity. You know, no sooner had Moses closed his eyes in death on top of old Mount Nebo Then Jesus himself, or perhaps Angel Gabriel, was at his side, raising him to life eternal. We know that from the New Testament and the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses came down to help Jesus go through his trial on the cross. Let's look at another person in the Old Testament who was also a type of Christ, Joseph one of many brothers. The father sent Joseph on a mission to help his brothers. It was famine in the land, and 
the brothers were hungry. So they sent some remaining food that they had with Joseph, a long day's journey, to this place where the brothers were caring for their sheep. When the brothers saw him, they realized they hated him. They seized him, put him in a pit to die. Joseph, who was on a mission of mercy to help them, was placed in the pit to die. Well, they, one of the brothers got soft-hearted and sold him to some people that were certainly non-Christian type people, and they were on the way to Egypt in a caravan. So Joseph then, just a young lad, apparently had learned at his mother's knee and his father's knee something about God that had stuck. It had learned, he had learned about a God to trust and to have faith in. He began to rise up in the Egyptian society, was then accused of a crime he didn't commit, was placed in prison, just like the pit in the ground that his brothers had him in, only worse. Later on, he, through miracle and miracle, came out of prison, became, rose to become the prime minister of Egypt, as we know the story. Then the famine was so severe in the land that uh, Jacob sent the other brothers to Egypt to buy food. We know the story well. They came before Joseph. They didn't recognize him in the garb of a prime minister, of course. And the story goes that at some point, Joseph could not take it anymore. He began weeping. He told all the Egyptians to go out of the room. And his weeping was so loud, according to the Bible, that the Egyptians could hear the weeping in another room. The brothers were dumbfounded. Who is this? And he said, I am Joseph, your brother. They were frightened beyond fright. Now was payback time. Again, Joseph could have said, it's payback time. Finally, I'll get these rascals. Well, the scripture is just the opposite. This man's mind and heart was changed. Something changed him that he learned at his mother and father's knee that he held on to through trial beyond human endurance. Later on in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph actually says, You know, my brothers, you, got, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What's happening here? This is another God thing. The human reaction would be for Joseph to say, I finally have them just where I want them. But no, far from it. He instead wept and cried so loudly and then kissed and hugged his brothers who had tried to kill him. Here's another example of God who changed a person so profoundly that he acted just as Jesus would do centuries later on the cross when he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't even know what they're doing. What a God we serve who can transform us so that we forgive and forgive and forgive and thus become treasured, redeemed souls for God's kingdom. We have another example of God in the New Testament from Jesus himself. The story unfolds in Mark 12. One day in the temple, he observed a widow woman over giving her offering at the offering plate, if you will. And he noticed, Jesus notices everything, doesn't he? 
He noticed this woman putting in two mites. In today's parlance, that would be two pennies, perhaps. Two pennies. He told his disciples, remember, this terrible society, the widow was the lowest of the low of the low in that social structure. The lowest. Nobody noticed them. They were lucky if they could live, unless they had children. But Jesus noticed her. And he said, disciples, you see that woman over there? You see her? She has just, this is a God thing again. She has just put into the treasury more money than all the rich folk that put in their millions or their thousands or whatever it was that day. You see, if somebody has a million dollars and puts in ten dollars, and a widow has three cents and puts in two cents, who's put in more? In fact, before he went to the cross, he said these life-altering words, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. God, whom Isaiah described as high and lifted up in Isaiah 6, now we see he also dwells in the lowly. He dwells in the down and out, and he dwells in the homeless and the underprivileged. That's where God dwells. If you search the New Testament, you will find that. He spent his time with these kind of people. And it seems, if we're really honest, that these are the type of people that may populate the New Jerusalem, you see. He dwells in the heart and mind of a thief on the cross, someone we would just likely have passed on by and not even have noticed. But Jesus dwelt there. In fact, he promised that thief his eternal kingdom. We see Jesus at work on another occasion where he poured down trodden woman of the night on the very verge of being stoned to death, saving her for his kingdom. And Mary of Magdala later had the privilege of being the first one Jesus spoke to after his resurrection. Oh my, what is happening here? She also had the privilege of anointing his head and his feet with perfume just before he went to the cross. No one else did that. So we see God changing this woman for his kingdom. This is not of human origin. This is a God thing. There are two further scriptures that are beyond our understanding. The first from 2 Corinthians 5.19. Listen to these amazing words. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. My friends, it's telling us that when Jesus was on the cross, the eternal God, Father God, was with him on that cross. That's what it's telling us. You put with that Isaiah 53.10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Let's think about that for just a moment. It, ple it pleased God the Father to bruise his son, to place him on the cross. How can we understand that? We can only understand that in the light of eternity and with the fact that God, even though we are nothing as sands of the seashore, he loved us so much that he would die for us. And God was pleased to see his son hanging on that cross. That should melt our hearts and our souls and 
drive us to serve him. Then we have another ultimate text in scripture, Isaiah 49, 16. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. And those scars will be there throughout eternity. Paul has an answer that tells us God sees through eternal eyes. He always sees through everything in the light of eternity. Paul says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are temporal, they're seen in that way, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They're eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we come to the end of our study How big is God? How do we define God? What does God mean to us? He's big enough to control the universe. He's small enough to live in our heart. The scripture he left for us always points us to eternity. That blessed hope of all Christians. John penned these majestic words in Revelation 21. And I saw a new earth and a new heaven. And the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true. And faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So there will be no night there, for the sun is the light of that new Jerusalem city where we will dwell. There will be no night there.
We started with the question this morning, where is God? We've learned that God is there all the time, and we've seen him in scripture. We've seen him through the lives of those he transformed to be citizens of his kingdom. We see him noticing a poor widow. We see him transforming a poor woman at night of the night into a redeemed soul. We've seen him transforming a thief on the cross in the last minutes of his life. His goal is to save us all for eternity in a land where God is the light thereof and there'll be no night. Let's sing our closing song at this time, 427. No night there. Four four twenty seven.
pray. Our Father, it is our prayer this morning that each one here will enter that new earth and that kingdom of joy. May we all in the meantime look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, as did Abraham of old. And with Paul who said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also who love his appearing. Amen and amen.